Father, we pray this morning we can truly experience what it means to be known by you. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. Good morning, everyone. Uh, I, uh, in a former life, was a high school science teacher. Any other former high school teachers in the room? Okay, a few. I want to tell you something about teaching high school, which will surprise probably most of you, but which will not surprise a single high school teacher in the room. They will give me an amen, I bet. So I want to tell you about extra credit. When you give extra credit, the reason you're giving extra credit is you want to take all of your F students and you want them to inch up into the D range so that you don't have to call their parents to tell them that they're failing. But when you offer extra credit, not a single, for the most part, not a single F student will do it. When you offer extra credit, your F student's response upon seeing it is, nah, I'm fine. So who does all this extra credit every single time? A students. A students come in and do the after school. A students correct the test. A students do the extra credit project, the extra paper and the report. Why? Because with an extra cre- when an A student hears the word extra credit, they're immediately seized with this mild panic that says, wait, there's a test question yet unanswered. There's a paper yet unwritten. There's a project yet undone. There's a height to reach, which I have not reached. There's something more for which I have fallen short. And they will do it every time and inch their 98% up to a 103. Are there any high school teachers who can amen this assertion? Extra credit. We're going to talk a little bit about the different ways F students and A students respond to things here in just a moment. But I want to start today getting us into the scriptures. I'm going to read you a passage of scripture. It will not appear on the screen. Um, I just want us to hear it and see if we can get the theme of this passage. Here it is. This is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you. God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. If we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. My dear children, I'm writing this to you so you will not sin. Can we agree that the theme of this passage would seem to be holiness, stop sinning, walk in the light? Does this sound about like what we just heard? All right. I want to share with you a second passage, also will not appear on the screen, but uh, just see if we can catch the theme of this passage. If we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. But if we confess our sins to him, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of the whole world. Can we agree that this passage theme is grace? That if you should sin... You are completely cleansed and forgiven by God through Christ Jesus. Does this sound about right for for that passage? Now, I want to ask you, which of these passages do you like better? I want to ask you, 
Which of these Bible writers do you think uh, most clearly has represented the heart of God? I want to ask you, if you had to live your life according to one of these passages more than the other, which would you pick? I want to ask you those questions, but I won't because it would be spiritual entrapment. Because the fact is that both of these passages I've read you actually are from the same passage of Scripture. We'll put it up here. We are this morning in 1 John chapter 1. So if you want to take out your Bible, we'll be in 1 John chapter 1. Or if you have a Bible app, not the Gospel of John, the letter from John. So you start at the back of the Bible, hang a left through Revelation, through Jude, 3 John, really short, 2 John, kind of short. There it is, 1 John. These passages I've just read you, the first group I read you are all shown in yellow. And the second passage I read you are all shown in white. And so as you see, the passages I read you actually go back and forth. Yellow, white, yellow, white, yellow, white. How can a passage go back and forth like this? One verse saying, stop sinning, it means you're not walking with God. The next saying, if you do sin, Christ forgives you. And then repeating that back and forth two more times. How can it be like this? To understand this passage, we need to understand the church that John was writing it to. The church is, I should say. We believe uh, history is showing us that John was a pastor overseeing several churches in uh, Asia Minor, now called Turkey. And if you read the letters written to those churches, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, it starts to paint a picture of a bunch of churches in trouble. It starts to paint a picture of churches with factions and infighting and churches breaking up and people leaving and starting their own thing and and, uh, churches with arguments. And one of their arguments was about sin. There were at least three factions in the church. And if you read 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, you start to get a picture of one of them that they believed they had arrived, that they didn't sin anymore, that they'd gotten so good at this Christian life, they just didn't sin anymore. To them, John writes, verse 8, if we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. Also, verse 10, if we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our heart. But there was this other faction in the church. The second faction believed that Jesus had forgiven us so completely of all earthly sins, so effectively, that now even if they do bad things, it doesn't count. This group later in history would develop into what was called the Gnostics, kind of a semi-Christian cult. I know you've heard a lot about Gnostics from Dan and I, but we'll say it again. Gnostics believe that once they became so enlightened spiritually that they could even commit adultery and fornication. And for them, it wasn't a sin because they were still part of a spiritual elite who didn't have to obey the rules everybody else believed. Now, there's also another cult of Gnostics that believed you should never have sex again. Uh, that one was not as popular. So, um, so there was these, these two cults of Gnostics that believed even if they committed these sexual sins because they were now so spiritual, things they did to their body did not count. Now, that sounds weird to us, but does it 
don't the uber wealthy in America and Hollywood elites kind of behave this way? I mean, they might even make movies about how, you know, adultery is bad and everything. But then in their normal lives, they do that sort of thing all the time. You know, things happen on, on Wall Street in those folks' personal lives. Every once in a while, it leaks out. And, you know, it's so wicked, it would peel the paint off the wall to talk about it in here. But their attitude is kind of like, well, we're, we're just not like you little people. I mean, when you get to the level of wealth or power or influence that we've gotten to, you know, we do these sort of things. We can't expect you guys to understand. We kind of just live up here in this other world that, that you're just frankly too simple to follow along with. And they kind of behave that way. John had folks like that in his church. And so to them, who believed they were so full of light that sin didn't count anymore, he has verse 5. God is light. And there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. In chapter 2, verse 1, My dear children, I'm writing this to you so you will not sin. So now John's F students have been addressed. He's told them they're just wrong about sin. Some of them think they don't sin anymore. Some of them think that they can't sin anymore. And he's telling them, you both, you're just, you're just wrong about that. But John also has this other faction. All those who have clung to Christ and have not wandered into these weirdnesses. His A students. And when his A students read these verses, they're going to freak out. Because that's what A students do when they hear things like this. They're going to read these passages we've just read and say, what? If I keep sinning, it means I'm walking in spiritual darkness and have no part in God? I got drunk. I drank too much just last week, they might say. And I regret that. And now my pastor John just wrote that it's a sign that I'm walking in spiritual darkness. John's A students are going to read this letter and say, What? Our church is full of factions and infighting. There's people in our church believing weird stuff, and I'm angry at them, and they are tearing this church apart, and I hate some of them. But now my pastor John just wrote that my hatred shows I have no fellowship with God, and I'm not practicing the truth. God must be truly angry with me for all of my sin. And so to them, John writes verse 7, But if we're living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. In verse 9, but if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. And the last half of verse 1 in chapter 2, but if anyone does, does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. And not only our sins, but the sins of the whole world. So his F students won't admit that they sin and don't try to change. His A students beat themselves up because though they try, they can't get it right. And they're afraid that God hates them. As a pastor, I feel John's pain trying to hold all of this together. Trying to juggle all of this. We have factions in our own church. We do. We have Gnostic 
thinking people in our congregation. Earlier this year, I was saying to my youth staff, here at Lakeland, we want to have a youth ministry that teaches the same values and supports the same values that parents are trying to teach at home. Because as near as I can tell in our culture now, the church is the last place left that actually still holds these values. And our youth staff looked real nervous. They said, well, actually, uh, we're going to have to teach better values than they're being taught at home. I said, what do you mean? And they shared with me that high school students had shared with them that their parents encouraged them to experiment with premarital sex, even using pithy illustrations like, you wouldn't buy a car unless you test drove it first. I'm sad that people in the church are teaching these kinds of morally bankrupt and psychologically damaging lessons to their own children because they no longer believe the Bible's teaching on faithfulness applies. On the other hand, just now, just now, a wave of shame went out over the sanctuary. As every Christian sitting here, whoever engaged in sex outside of marriage, said, my pastor just called me morally bankrupt and psychologically damaged. And so now I must remind you that Christ and his death on the cross restores you. He takes brokenness aside and makes it beautiful. He casts your sin into a sea of forgetfulness. You have been remade. But as soon as I say that, the folks to whom I was not speaking say, yeah, amen, that's what I said. It doesn't matter what we do. That's why I told my kids to fool around. Not a lot, just enough to find out what they like. How do you encourage A, students who want to follow God but cannot get a perfect score, while at the same time admonishing F students to come out of hiding and admit that sin is sin so that you can receive the cleansing of Christ before that sin destroys you and your family. As a pastor, I feel John's pain trying to juggle all of this in a church because we have factions in our own congregation. Through the years, we've had people who can't get along inside the church. Some in the past would sit out in the lobby when this or that person was singing in the music team because they were so insanely jealous of him or her. We've had some who would get into a disagreement with one person in their small group and they would never come to church again. Over a disagreement with one person, they'd write off the other six or seven hundred of us. Now, as we'll see next week, loving and forgiving one another in the church and living in unity is one of our highest commandments. The new commandment Jesus gives on Monday, Thursday in the upper room before the cross, love one another. And as soon as I say that, all the A students in the room start weeping, saying, I, there's somebody in this church I don't like. I want to forgive them. I've tried to, but I can't. Every time I see them, I just want to jump up and run out of the sanctuary. I know that it is a sin. I'm breaking the new commandment to love one another as Christ loves us. Help me. And your help comes in this passage. 
But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. And not only our sins, but the sins of the whole world. But the moment I say, grace, grace on you, the people I'm not talking to are also encouraged. Yeah, that's what I said. Jesus forgives me for not forgiving. And I'm going to let him do it because I don't want to forgive somebody. How do you give encouragement to the A student who wants to get it right but cannot get a perfect score? Well, at the same time, admonishing the F student to come out of hiding and admit that sin is sin and be cleansed before that sin destroys you and destroys your family. I hope you feel the, the tension of all of this. What is the way out? How do we be a church? I'm not going to be so arrogant as to say that I'm going to figure out something new that St. John hasn't already figured out, that I'm going to come up with something smarter than he did. As near as I can tell from this passage, I think... We just have to keep saying both things back and forth, yellow and white, holiness and grace. I think these days that the Christian life is like this rope. You know, if I hold both sides of this, it makes something kind of like a bridge. So if I, now if I pull too hard on one side, I'll pop it loose, and then it's not a bridge anymore. And if I pull too hard on the other side, I destroy the bridge. What I have to do is I have to hold both sides. And if I pull hard on both sides, it creates what's called a tension. And if I were pull harder, this tension will support weight. And if I were strong enough, I'm not, but if I were strong enough, I could pull this tight enough that one of you could stand on the tension that is created. So what if one side of this rope is holiness, to live right and walk in the light and stop sinning, and the other side is the grace of God and his forgiveness and his cleansing and Jesus advocating for us before God. Now, if I pull only toward grace, hey, let's make this all grace and forgiveness. We break the bridge loose because we come to people who do anything we want in the name of forgiveness. We become so consumed with lust and hating others and denying our sin that we become the type of person who doesn't care what God has to say anymore. I have seen people do this many times in their life. On the other hand, if we pull only toward holiness, get right with God, straighten up, stop sinning, we pull the bridge loose. And over here, we're so caught up in the judgment of God that we basically, because we can't ever be free of all sin, we have to start doing one of two things. One is pretending to be better than we are, acting like we don't sin anymore. That's the true definition of a hypocrite, a play actor. Or we become so filled with self-loathing and self-hatred that we can't get it right, so fearful of God that we run from him never to return. And I have seen people do that in their life as well. We have to hold them both. And when we hold gray, uh, holiness and grace, we have a bridge. 
The more I decide that sin is bad for me and I must stop before I destroy myself, the tighter it gets. But it's going to pull loose if I don't pretty quick start pulling on the other side and proclaiming, thank God for his acceptance and his forgiveness through Christ Jesus. By his death, I am saved. I know that God would do anything for me. So when I fail, all is not lost. He still loves me. Paul says, does that mean we shall sin with reckless abandon? By no means, holiness and grace. Holiness and grace. And the more serious I get about holiness and grace, the stronger this bridge becomes until I can stand on it. I think it, it probably looks like this. We're going to end today reading our entire scripture together in order. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 to chapter 2, verse 2. But as we, we're going to read it in little pieces as I try to describe different factions that probably we have in our congregation. And then, we'll, and then we'll all recite together the scripture. So we have someone on this side who says, I'm Christian, but I engage in premarital sex and I teach my children to do the same and it's not a sin. To them we have verse five. This, let's read it together. This is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you, God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. But then someone over here says, I used to live that way. I don't anymore, but I feel stained forever by the things I did before Christ came into my life. For them we have verse 7. But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. But then the one over here says, I don't think God cares if I sit out in the lobby so I don't have to sing worship songs with this backup singer who drives me crazy. It just makes me angrier and angry. It's no sin to avoid them. To them we have verse 8. If we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But then the one over here says, I confess I'm not living in the truth. I confess I hold grudges in the church. I have this one sentence that that person said to me 10 years ago, and I just play it in my mind every time I think about them. I confess that it's wicked. Am I lost? To them we have verse 9. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us as our, of our sins, and cleanse us from all wickedness. But then this one says, I haven't done anything wrong. I'm certainly not evil. In fact, I'm better than most preachers you see on the six o'clock news at night. Don't call me a sinner. And so then we have verse 10. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. And then this one says, I genuinely try, I really do, but I still sin. Surely God's tired of my weakness. To them we have chapter 2, verse 1. My dear children, I'm writing this to you so you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. And to everyone who says, how can we know this is true? This is too good to be true. How can we know that God, through Christ, forgives us? To everyone we say, chapter 2, verse 2, he himself 
is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. Not only our sins, but the sins of the whole world. You see, Jesus came to show us the love of God and how to live grace and holiness. And we honored Jesus' visit by nailing him to the cross, the ultimate crime to try to kill your own God. But while we were nailing him down, he cries out, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And when he rose from the dead, his first words to us were, peace to you. Peace to you? Jesus, how can you say peace to you? I killed you. I killed you with my lust, and I killed you with my hatred, and I killed you with my denial of sin, just as surely as if I were there holding the hammer and nails myself. And Jesus says, and I forgave you. And I forgave you so fully, I took it all the way into death. And God raised me so that you would know he forgave you also. And he brought me back to you to offer you this same eternal life. Live holy, and I forgive you. Jesus says, hang on to both of these, and you will stand. If you want to receive this God, this God who is both holy and gracious, we have a meal that Jesus gave us to do that. The communion service will come forward. So on the night he was, before he was betrayed, in, in that upper room, he took bread and he broke it, and he said, this is my body broken for you, grace. He also took a cup, and he said, this cup is now my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Grace. He said, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, remember my death until I eat and drink it with you and my kingdom. My kingdom is coming. Don't forget, live holy. My kingdom is coming. Hang on to grace. My kingdom is coming. In this meal is holiness and grace. And so if you come forward, it's like you are coming out of hiding. Coming out of hiding and saying, I have sin. I have sin. And I want to walk in the light. This morning we have something special. I, I failed to even mention this in first service. I just feel awful. Um, so you'll have to light an extra candle for some of them. But we, if you want, you don't have to do this part, but if you want, there is a, a foam there for your knees and there's a place to kneel and there's a prayer right here. Confessing our sin before God and receiving his cleansing and his grace. And you can light one of these candles. That's kind of the ancient church symbol of our prayer going up before God. Even after you sit down, the prayer continues to burn. And so you can come here if you want. As you come down the aisle, you can come and kneel here first and, and do whatever business you want to do with God. And then go to communion or go straight to communion. But when you tear off a piece of bread, now you're receiving the symbol of that cleansing. You tear off a piece of the bread. You dip it in the cup. When you receive it into yourself, you are receiving this promised grace. 
Now, if this is not something you yet want to be a part of, it's fine. We are a church that wants people to go on a spiritual journey, to consider things, to hear this story, to ask your questions. And if, you don't, if you're not buying that this is who God is and this is how it works yet, okay. Yeah, you don't want to come forward and be part of a ritual that doesn't really symbolize who you are. But do think about it. Do think about what it would be like to love and chase after this kind of God who loves and chases after us, who does value holiness, but also gives us grace. For all those who want to receive it or or want to reaffirm it, you just walk down the aisle, come here or go there, tear off a piece of bread, though, eventually, and dip it in the cup and receive it into yourself. Let us stand together and let us proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Alleluia. The gifts of God for the people of God. Each day, may Jesus Christ be as real to us as this food and this drink. So let us stand together, I'd like to give you, who have come out of hiding and are being cleansed, I'd like to give you a good word to go out on. Christ forgives you, so breathe easier today. Christ cleanses you, so walk in newness of life today. Christ loves you. And all the power that realization fills you with, everyone, Go in peace this day. Amen.